0: THE HISTORY OF BRITISH INDIA BY JAMES MILL 1773-1836 to Published in 1817 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. THE HISTORY OF BRITISH INDIA CHAPTER 1 from the commencement of the efforts to begin a trade with india till the change of the company from a regulated to a joint stock company the portuguese had formed important establishments in india before the british offered themselves as competitors for the riches of the east from the time when vasco da gama distinguished his nation by discovering the passage round the cape of good hope and first reached the coast of hindustan a whole century had elapsed during which without a rival they had enjoyed and abused the advantages of superior knowledge and art amid a feeble and half-civilized race they had explored the indian ocean as far as japan had discovered its islands rich with some of the most favorite productions of nature had achieved the most brilliant conquests and by their commerce poured into europe in unexampled profusion those commodities of the east on which the nations at that time set an extraordinary value the circumstances of this splendid fortune had violently attracted the attention of europe the commerce of india even when confined to those narrow limits which a carriage by land had prescribed was supposed to have elevated feeble states into great ones and to have constituted an enviable part in the fortune even of the most opulent and powerful to have contributed largely to support the grecian monarchies both in syria and egypt to have retarded the downfall of constantinople and to have raised the small and obscure republic of venice to the rank and influence of the most potent kingdoms the discovery therefore of a new channel for this opulent traffic and the happy experience of the portuguese inflamed the cupidity of all the maritime nations of europe and set before them the most tempting prospects an active spirit of commerce had already begun to display itself in england the nation had happily obtained a full share of the improvement which had dawned in europe and the tranquil and economic reign of elizabeth had been favourable both to the accumulation of capital and to those projects of private emoluments on which the spirit of commerce depends a brisk trade and of considerable extent had been carried on during the greater part of the sixteenth century with the netherlands at that time the most improved and commercial part of europe the merchants of bristol had opened a traffic with the canary islands those of plymouth with the coasts of guinea and brazil the english now fished on the banks of newfoundland and explored the sea of spitzbergen for the sovereign of the waters they engrossed by an exclusive privilege the commerce of russia they took an active part in the trade of the mediterranean the company of merchant adventurers pushed so vigorously the traffic with germany and the central parts of europe as highly to excite the jealousy of the hans towns and the protestant inhabitants of the netherlands and france flying from the persecutions of their own oppressive and bigoted governments augmented the commercial resources of england by the capital and skill of a large importation of the most ingenious and industrious people in europe in these circumstances the lustre of the portuguese transactions in the east peculiarly attracted the admiration of the english already a most adventurous spirit of navigation was roused in the nation the english were the first who had imitated the example of the spaniards in visiting the new world in fourteen ninety seven, Cabot with a small squadron explored the coast of America from Labrador to Virginia and discovered the islands of Newfoundland and St. John. An English merchant named Robert Thorne, who had been stationed for many years at Seville in Spain and had acquired particular knowledge of the intercourse which the Portuguese had opened with the East, presented a project to henry the eighth about the year fifteen twenty seven the accomplishment of which he imagined would place his country in a situation no less enviable than that of the portuguese as that nation had obtained a passage to india by a course to the southeast and pretended a right which they defended by force to its exclusive occupation he supposed that his countrymen might reach the same part of the globe by sailing to the northwest, and thus obtain a passage at once expeditious and undisputed. What effect this representation produced on the mind of Henry is not accurately known. But two voyages in the course of his reign were undertaken for the discovery of a northwest passage, one about this period, and another ten years later nothing can more clearly prove to us the ardour with which the english coveted a share in the riches supposed to be drawn by the portuguese from the east than the persevering efforts which they made to discover a channel from which the portuguese would have no pretence to exclude them two attempts in the reign of henry to obtain a passage by the northwest had failed their exploring fancy anticipated a happier issue from a voyage to the north-east a small squadron accordingly under the direction of sir hugh willoughby was fitted out in the reign of edward the sixth and sailing along the coast of norway doubled the north cape where it was encountered by a storm the ship of sir hugh was driven to an obscure spot in russia lapland where he and his crew perished miserably by the climate the other principal vessel found shelter in the harbour of archangel and was the first foreign ship by which it was entered so well did chancellor the captain of the vessel improve this incident that he opened a commercial intercourse with the natives visited the monarch in his capital stipulated important privileges for his countrymen and laid the foundation of a trade which was immediately prosecuted to no inconsiderable extent this voyage but little damped the hopes of obtaining a north-east passage to the riches of india some vigorous attempts were made by the company in whose hands the commerce of russia was placed the last of them in fifteen eighty when two ships were sent out to explore the passage through the straits of way after struggling with many perils and difficulties from the ice and the cold one of the vessels returned unsuccessful the other was never heard of more before this hope was regarded as desperate the project of obtaining the passage by the northwest was resumed with ardor no fewer than six voyages were made in the course of a few years two barks of twenty-five tons each and a pinnace of ten sailed under martin frobisher in the year fifteen sixty seven and entered hudson's bay which at first they imagined was the inlet about to conduct them to the golden shore the same navigator was encouraged to make a second attempt in the same direction in fifteen seventy six as he brought home in these voyages some minerals which were supposed to be impregnated with gold the attention of the government was excited and two years afterwards frobisher was sent out with fifteen of the queen's ships carrying miners for the supposed ore and a hundred and twenty persons as the rudiments of a colony having spent his provisions and lost one of his ships but not found the expected passage nor left his settlers he returned with three hundred tons of the supposed treasure which proved to be only a glittering sand the nation persevered in its hopes and enterprises A few years afterwards captain john davis sailed as far as sixty-six degrees forty minutes north and discovered the straits distinguished by his name in a second voyage undertaken in fifteen eighty six he explored in vain the inlet which he had thus discovered after a few years he was enabled to proceed in a third expedition but had no better success than the preceding two after so many efforts to discover a new passage to india the english resolved to be no longer deterred by the pretensions of the portuguese a voyage to china by the cape of good hope was undertaken in fifteen eighty two four ships proceeded to the coast of brazil fought with some spanish men-of-war and were obliged to return for want of provisions Another expedition consisting of three ships was fitted out in 1596, the commander of which was furnished with Queen Elizabeth's letter to the Emperor of China. This voyage proved eminently unfortunate. The ships were driven upon the coast of Spanish America, where only four men were preserved alive from the effects of storms, famine, and disease amid these unsuccessful endeavours two voyages were accomplished which animated the hopes of the nation and pointed out the way to more fortunate enterprises francis drake the son of a clergyman in kent who at a tender age had been put an apprentice to the master of a slender bark training to the coast of holland and france had early evinced that passionate ardour in his profession which is the usual forerunner of signal success he gained the affections of his master who left him his bark at his death at the age of eighteen he was purser of a ship which sailed to the bay of biscay at twenty he made a voyage to the coast of guinea in fifteen sixty five he ventured all he possessed in a voyage to the west indies which had no success and in fifteen sixty seven he served under his kinsman sir john hawkins in his unprosperous expedition to the bay of mexico in these different services his nautical skills his courage and sagacity had been conspicuously displayed in fifteen seventy his reputation enabled him to proceed to the west indies with two vessels under his command so bent was he on executing some great design that he renewed his visit the next year for the sole purpose of obtaining information he had no sooner returned than he planned an expedition against the spaniards executed it with two ships and seventy-three men sacked the town of nombre de dios and returned with great treasure it is said that in this voyage he saw from the top of a high tree i e fancied he saw across the american isthmus the southern ocean and became inflamed with the desire of sailing to it in a ship of england for this expedition he prepared on a great scale obtaining the commission of the queen and five vessels one of one hundred tons another of eighty one of fifty another of thirty and a panace of fifteen manned with one hundred and sixty-four select sailors the historians of this voyage were anxious to display the taste and magnificence as well as judgment of his preparations expert musicians rich furniture utensils of the most curious workmanship all the vessels of his table silver and many of those of his cook-room the expedition sailed from plymouth on the thirteenth of december fifteen seventy seven having passed the straits of magellan and ravaged the western coast of spanish america drake feared the encounter of a spanish fleet should he attempt to return in the same direction and formed the bold design of crossing the pacific ocean to india and regaining england by the cape of good hope with one ship and only part of the fleet which remained he steered along the coast of america to the latitude of thirty-eight degrees north and then entered upon that immense navigation in which magellan the only circumnavigator who preceded him had suffered so much no memorable occurrence attended the voyage of the islands which have been discovered in the pacific ocean none were observed till he approached the asiatic coast Fixing his attention on the Moluccas, of which the fame had been circulated in Europe by the rich spices thence imported by the Portuguese, he passed with little observation the more eastern part of the numerous islands which stud the Indian Sea, and held his course for Tidor. From intelligence received on the passage, he waived his intention of landing on that island, and steered for Tanot the sovereign of which he understood to be at enmity with the portuguese the intercourse which he there commenced forms a remarkable epoch in the history of the british in india as it was the beginning of those commercial transactions which have led to such important results the king having received assurances that his new visitants came with no other intention than that of trading with his country gave them a very favourable reception this monarch possessed considerable power since the english navigators were informed that he ruled over seventy islands besides Ternate, the most valuable of all the moluccas and in the visits which they paid to his court they were eyewitnesses that he could display no contemptible share of magnificence. They exchanged presents with him, received him on board, and traded with his subjects, laid in a cargo of valuable spices, and acquainted themselves with the nature and facilities of a commerce which was so much the object of admiration in Europe not satisfied with the information or the commodities which they received on one island they visited several being always amazed at their prodigious fertility and in general delighted with the manners of the inhabitants among other places they landed in the great island of java famous afterwards as the seat of the dutch government in india they held some friendly intercourse with the natives And departed with a tolerable knowledge both of the character of the people and the productions of the country. They now spread their sails for that navigation between Europe and India to which the Portuguese claimed an exclusive right and by which they monopolized the traffic with India. Those discoverers had craftily disseminated in Europe terrific accounts of dangers and horrors attending the navigation round the Cape of Good Hope as the voyage of the english proved remarkably prosperous they were surprised and delighted with the safety and ease which seemed to them to distinguish this envied passage and conceived a still more lofty opinion of the advantages enjoyed by the nation that engrossed it after leaving java the first land which they touched was the cape of good hope they landed once more at sierra leone on the african coast where they received such supplies as sufficed for the remainder of the voyage they arrived at plymouth on monday the twenty sixth of september fifteen eighty after a voyage of two years ten months and a few days exhibiting to the wondering eyes of the spectators the first ship in england and the second in the world which had circumnavigated the globe the news quickly spread over the whole kingdom which resounded with the applause of the man who had performed so daring and singular an enterprise whoever wished to be distinguished as a patron of merit hastened to confer some mark of his admiration on captain drake the songs epigrams poems and other pieces which were composed in celebration of his exploits amounted to several collections the queen, after some delay necessary to save appearances with the Spanish court, which loudly complained of the depredations of Drake, though as reprisals perhaps they were not undeserved, paid a visit in person to the wonderful ship of Deptford, accepted of an entertainment on board, and conferred the honor of knighthood on its captain, observing at the same time that his actions did him more honor than his title we may form some conception of the ardour which at that time prevailed in england for maritime exploits by the number of men of rank and fortune who chose to forego the indulgences of wealth and to embark their persons and properties in laborious painful and dangerous expeditions among them we find such names as those of the earls of cumberland and essex of sir richard greenville of sir walter raleigh sir humphrey gilbert sir robert dudley who prepared squadrons at their own expense and sailed to various parts of the world no undertaking of this description was attended with more important circumstances than that of thomas cavendish this gentleman descended from a family of distinction and inheriting a large estate in the county of suffolk had been early fired with a passion for maritime adventure in a vessel of his own he had accompanied sir richard greenville in his unsuccessful voyage to virginia and now sold or mortgaged his estate to equip a squadron with which he might rival the glory of drake it consisted of three ships the largest of a hundred and forty tons one of sixty and a bark of about forty supplied with two years provisions and manned with one hundred and twenty-six officers and sailors of whom several had served in the celebrated expedition of drake they sailed from plymouth on the twenty first of july fifteen eighty six their voyage through the straits of magellan and the depredations which they proceeded to commit along the western coast of the american continent not only in the spirit of avarice but even of wanton devastation form no part of our present subject and may without regret be left to other inquirers they had reached the coast of california and nearly twenty-four degrees of northern latitude when having taken a very rich spanish ship and completed their schemes of plunder they commenced their voyages across the pacific ocean they left the coast of america on the nineteenth of november and came in sight of guam one of the ladrone islands on the third of january from this island they were visited by sixty or seventy canoes full of the inhabitants who brought provisions to exchange for commodities and so crowded about the ship that the english when they had finished their traffic discharged some of their firearms to drive them away with the philippines to which they next proceeded they opened a more protracted intercourse they cast anchor at one of the islands and lay there for nine days during which they carried on an active trade with the inhabitants the cluster of islands to which the europeans have given the name of the philippines was discovered by magellan philip the second shortly after his ascension to the spanish throne planted there a colony of spaniards by an expedition from new spain and a curious commerce had from that time been carried on across the great pacific between this settlement and the dominions of spain in the new world to manila the capital of the philippine colony the chinese who resorted thither in great numbers brought all the precious commodities of india and two ships were sent annually from new spain which carried to the philippines the silver of the american mines and returned with the fine productions of the east the impatience however of the natives under the spanish yoke was easily perceived when they discovered that the new visitors were not spaniards but the enemies of that people they eagerly testified their friendship and the princes of the island where cavendish landed engaged to assist him with the whole of their forces if he would return and make war upon the common adversary this adventurous discoverer extensively explored the intricate navigation of the indian archipelago and observed the circumstances of the new and extraordinary scene with a quick and intelligent eye He visited the Ladrones, pursued a roving course among the Philippines, which brought most of them within his view. He passed through the Moluccas, sailed along that important chain of islands which, extending from the Strait of Malacca, bounds the Indian archipelago to the extremity of Timor, and passing the Strait of Bali between the two Javas, cast anchor on the southwest side of the great island of that name he traded here with the natives for provisions and formed with them a sort of treaty stipulating a favorable reception whenever his visit should be renewed he sailed for the cape of good hope on the sixteenth of march careful to treasure up information respecting a voyage which was now the channel of so important an intercourse he made astronomical observations he studied the weather the winds and the tides he noted the bearing and position of lands and omitted nothing which might facilitate a repetition of the voyage to himself or any of his countrymen he passed the cape with prosperous navigation about the middle of may and having touched at st helena to recruit his stores he landed at plymouth on the ninth of september fifteen eighty eight in a letter which on the very day of his arrival he wrote to lord hunson then chamberlain to queen elizabeth he says i navigated to the islands of the philippines hard upon the coast of china of which country i have brought such intelligence as hath not been heard of in these parts a country the stateliness and riches of which i fear to make report of lest i should not be credited i sailed along the islands of moluccas where among some of the heathen people i was well entreated and where our countrymen may have trade as freely as the portugals if they themselves will the tide of maritime adventure which these splendid voyages were calculated to increase flowed naturally towards india by reason of the fancied opulence of the east and the passion for indian commodities which prevailed at that time in europe the impatience of our countrymen had already engaged them in a circuitous traffic with that part of the globe they sailed to the eastern shores of the mediterranean sea where they found cargoes of indian goods conveyed over land And a mercantile company denominated the Levant Company was instituted, according to the policy of the age, to secure to the nation the advantages of so important a commerce. The company, too, which, after the discovery of the port of Archangel, had been formed to carry on the trade with Russia, had opened a communication with Persia, whence they imported Indian goods to satisfy the demand of the English mr anthony jenkinson an active and enterprising agent of the russia company sailed down the volga in 1558 to the caspian sea which he crossed into persia and at bogar a city of some importance found merchants from various parts of the persian empire from russia from india and china this voyage he performed seven times and opened a considerable trade for raw and wrought silk for carpets spices precious stones and other asiatic productions in fifteen sixty three there was business enough to require the presence of three agents at Kosbin, the seat of the persian court and the traffic flourished for several years accidental circumstances contributed to enliven the admiration excited by the indian trade during that expedition to the coast of spain on which sir francis drake was sent by queen elizabeth to harass the spanish shipping and prevent as far as possible the preparations for the invincible armada he took one of the portuguese ships from india known at that time by the name of the value of her cargo inflamed the imagination of the merchants and the papers which she carried afforded information respecting the traffic in which she was engaged a still more important capture of the same sort was made in fifteen ninety three an expedition fitted out for the west indies by sir walter raleigh and commanded by sir john Burrows, encountered near the azores the greatest of all the portuguese caracks, a vessel of sixteen hundred tons carrying seven hundred men and thirty-six brass cannon and after an obstinate contest carried her into dartmouth she was the largest vessel ever seen in england laden with spices calicles silk Gold, pearls, drugs, porcelain, ebony, etc., and by her riches inflamed the impatience of the English to be engaged in so opulent and brilliant a commerce. Some members of the Turkey or Levant Company finished about the same time an expedition into India. They had carried some cloth, tin, and other goods from Aleppo to Baghdad which they next conveyed down the tigris to ormuz in the persian gulf and thence transported to goa the great mart between the portuguese and the indians on the coast of malabar from this place they commenced an extensive survey of the adjoining countries repaired to agra at that time the capital and residence of the mogul emperor visited lahore traversed bengal Traveled to Pegu and Malacca, and returning by sea to Ormuz, retraced their steps to Aleppo, whence they sailed for England, bearing with them important and extensive information respecting the countries they had explored. Intelligence now poured itself upon the nation by a variety of channels an englishman of the name of stevens had sailed with the portuguese from lisbon to goa by the cape of good hope and wrote an account of his voyage which was read with avidity and contributed to swell the general current of enterprise which now ran so vehemently toward india the first application which was made to government was by a memorial in the name of divers merchants addressed to the lords of council in fifteen eighty nine for the royal permission to send three ships and as many pinnaces on a voyage to india they enumerated the different places at which the portuguese had already effected settlements on the coast of malabar and coromandel in malacca and in the banta and molucca islands places from which it seemed to be tacitly understood that other nations were bound to abstain but they added that the islands and shores of the indian ocean presented many other places which were open to the enterprise of the english merchants and from an intercourse with which the nation might reap the greatest advantage what reception this application received is little known but the unfortunate expedition of captain raymond remarkable as being the first of which india was the immediate destination though its object was not so much trade as plunder by cruising against the portuguese was fitted out in fifteen ninety one disease had made such ravages among the crews before they reached the cape of good hope that one of the vessels was obliged to be sent home with the sick and the rest two in number had not long doubled the cape when the principal ship was lost in a storm captain james lancaster in the remaining vessel after a disastrous voyage to the east sailed to the west indies where he lost the ship and with great difficulty found a means to return in a french privateer but while the english fluctuated between desire and execution in this important project the dutch in fifteen ninety five boldly sent four ships to trade with india by the cape of good hope this expedition added fuel at once to the jealousy and ambition of the english in fifteen ninety nine an association was formed and a fund subscribed which amounted to thirty thousand one hundred and thirty three pounds six shillings eight pennies and consisted of one hundred and one shares the subscription of individuals varying from one hundred pounds to three thousand pounds it was agreed to petition the queen for a warrant to fit out three ships and export and also for a charter of privileges a committee of fifteen the origin and foundation of the court of directors were chosen to manage the approbation of the government was readily signified but as a treaty was then pending with spain policy counseled delay the subscribers known by the name of the adventurers were impatient and presented a memorial setting forth the places with which the spaniards and portuguese had established an intercourse and pointed out other parts to which without any ground of complaint on the part of those nations the english might with unspeakable advantage resort the council replied that it was more beneficial for the general state of merchandise to entertain a peace than that the same should be hindered by the standing with ye Spanish commissions for the maintaining of this trade to forego the opportunity of the concluding of the peace. The memorial was referred to Sir Folk Greville, who made a favourable report and in the course of the same year the queen sent john mildenhall overland by constantinople on an embassy to the mogul it was attended with little success the portuguese and venetian agents exerted themselves to raise suspicions against the designs of the english and effectually obstructed the endeavours of the ambassador towards the end of the year sixteen hundred the efforts of the adventurers were renewed the consent of government to proceed in preparation for an indian voyage was obtained while the patent of incorporation was still under consideration meanwhile an application was made from government with what view does not appear for the employment of sir edward michael Bourne in the expedition the answer of the committee whose situation that of petitioner for a favour not yet conceded might have counselled complaisance affords a curious specimen of their independence and of the mode of thinking of the times they stated it as their resolution not to employ any gentleman in any place of charge and requested that they may be allowed to sort their business with men of their own quality lest the suspicion of the employment of gentlemen being taken hold upon by the generalities do drive a greater number of the adventurers to withdraw their contributions the adventure was prosecuted with ardour on the eighth of october the five following ships were already provided the malice scourge of two hundred men and six hundred tons burden the hector of one hundred men and three hundred tons the ascension of eighty men and two hundred and sixty tons the susan of eighty men and two hundred and forty tons a penas of forty men and one hundred tons to provision these ships for twenty months the cost was computed at six thousand six hundred pounds four shillings ten pennies and the cargo consisting of iron and tin wrought and unwrought of lead cloths and some smaller articles chiefly intended as presents for the persons in power in the different places at which the ships might touch was estimated exclusive of bullion at four thousand five hundred and forty five pounds it was determined that thirty-six factors or supercargoes should be appointed for the voyage divided into separate classes rising above one another in trust and emoluments captain james lancaster whose difficult return from a predatory expedition to the indian seas has already been mentioned was chosen to command the fleet and on the thirty first of december the charter of privileges was obtained this charter the origin of a power so anomalous and important as that which was afterwards accumulated in the hands of the east india company contained nothing which remarkably distinguished it from the other charters of incorporation so commonly in that age bestowed upon trading associations it constituted the adventures of a body politic and corporate by the name of the governor and company of merchants of london trading to the east indies invested them with the usual privileges and powers the plan which they had already adopted for the management of their affairs by a committee of twenty-four and a chairman both to be chosen annually was confirmed and rendered obligatory with a reservation in favor of the rights granted to other associations and with prohibition extending to all such places as might be already occupied by the subjects of states in amity with her majesty and whose objection to rivals should be declared the privilege of trading to the east indies that is to all places beyond the cape of good hope and the straits of magellan was bestowed upon the company With the power to export in every voyage thirty thousand pounds in gold and silver, to export English goods for the first four voyages exempt from duties, and to re-export Indian goods into English ships under the same privilege to the end of the charter. According to the principle of the times, the charter was exclusive, prohibiting the rest of the community from trading within the limits but granting to the company the power whenever they pleased of bestowing licenses for that purpose it was granted for a period of fifteen years but under condition that if not found to be advantageous to the country it might be annulled at any time after a notice of two years if advantageous to the country it might if desired by the company be renewed for fifteen years the ardour of individuals where anything is to be risked is more easily excited than upheld though the list of subscribers while the scheme of indian adventure was yet only in contemplation had been readily filled up the calls of the committees for the payment for the instalments were very imperfectly obeyed even when the charter was obtained it was either understood to confer no power of compelling payment or the directors were afraid to make use of that power. Instead of extracting the stipulated sums and trading upon the terms of the joint stock company, the subscribers who were disposed to adventure were invited to take upon themselves the expense of the voyage, and as they sustained the whole of the risk, to reap the whole of the profit the sums which were thus advanced amounted to sixty eight thousand three hundred and seventy three pounds which greatly exceeded the capital originally subscribed of this thirty nine thousand seven hundred and seventy one pounds was expended in the purchase and equipment of ships the four excluding the pinnace which were taken up by the committee of original adventurers twenty eight thousand seven hundred and forty two pounds was expended in bullion and six thousand eight hundred and sixty pounds in goods consisting partly of british commodities cloth lead tin cutlery glass etc partly of foreign as quicksilver muscovy hides etc the choice of captain lancaster to command the fleet was renewed and it sailed from torbay on the second of may sixteen hundred and one carrying letters of recommendations from the queen to the sovereigns of the different ports to which it might resort a first and experimental attempt was naturally unproductive of any remarkable result but the first voyage of the east indian company was not discouraging the first place to india to which the fleet repaired was akin a principal city in the island of sumatra at which they were favorably received they formed a treaty of commerce with the chief or sovereign of the place obtained permission to erect a factory and having taken on board a quantity of pepper set sail for the moluccas in the straits of malacca they captured a portuguese vessel of nine hundred tons burthen. Carrying calicoes and spices, which sufficed to lead them, they diverted their course, therefore, to Bantam in the island of Java, where the captain, delivering his letters and presents, and meeting with a favourable reception, left some agents, the first rudiments of the company's factories, and returned to England where he arrived in september sixteen hundred and three with a handsome profit to his owners on the capital of the voyage in the course of the years from sixteen hundred and three to sixteen thirteen eight other voyages were fitted out on similar terms the first in sixteen hundred and three under the command of captain middleton consisted of the ships which had but just returned from the preceding voyage and the capital subscribed was sixty thousand four hundred and fifty pounds of which forty eight thousand one hundred and forty pounds was laid out in the preparation and provision of the ships eleven thousand one hundred and sixty pounds in bullion and one thousand one hundred and forty two pounds in goods the second in sixteen hundred and six consisted of three ships commanded by captain keeling capital fifty three thousand five hundred pounds of which twenty eight thousand six hundred and twenty pounds was for the equipment of the fleet seventeen thousand six hundred pounds bullion and seven thousand two hundred and eighty pounds goods the third in sixteen hundred and seven consisted of two ships Thirty three thousand pounds capital, fourteen thousand six hundred pounds, of which for the ships, fifteen thousand pounds bullion and three thousand four hundred pounds in goods. The fourth voyage in sixteen hundred and eight had but one ship, thirteen thousand seven hundred pounds, subscription, expense of equipment, six thousand pounds, bullion, six thousand pounds, goods, one thousand seven hundred pounds. The fifth in 1609 had three ships, larger than any other former voyage, capital subscribed £82,000, cost of shipping £32,000, the investment £28,500 bullion, and £21,300 goods. The sixth voyage in 1610 had four ships, and subscription £71,581 divided into 42,500 pounds for shipping, 19,200 pounds bullion, 10,081 pounds goods. The seventh in 1611, of four vessels, had 76,355 pounds subscription, expended 48,700 pounds on the fleet, 17,675 pounds in bullion, and ten thousand pounds in goods the eighth in sixteen twelve had one ship and subscription seventy two hundred pounds divided fifty three hundred pounds for the vessel twelve hundred and fifty pounds bullion and six hundred and fifty pounds in goods all these voyages with one exception that in sixteen hundred and seven of which both the vessels were lost were prosperous the clear profits, hardly ever below one hundred per cent, being in general more than two hundred on the capital of the voyage. The years in which these voyages were performed were not without other incidents of considerable importance. In sixteen hundred and four, the company were alarmed by a license in violation of their charter, granted to Sir Edward Michaelborne and others, to trade to Cathay, China, Japan, Korea, and cambia etc this injury was compensated in sixteen hundred and nine when the facility and indiscretion of james encouraged the company to aim at a removal of those restrictions which the more cautious policy of elizabeth had imposed they obtained a renewal of their charter confirming all their preceding privileges and constituting them a body corporate not for fifteen years or any other limited time but for ever still however providing that on experience of prejudice to the nation their exclusive privileges should after three years notice cease and expire the earliest of the company's voyages were exclusively directed to the islands in the indian ocean as sumatra java and Abuina, the returns being raw silk Fine calicoes, indigo, cloves, and mace. In sixteen hundred and eight, the factors at Bantam and in the Moluccas reported that the cloths and calicoes imported from the continent of India were in great request in the islands, and recommended the opening of a trade at Surat and Cambaya to supply them with those commodities which might be exchanged with extraordinary profit for the spice and other productions of the islands to profit by these advantages the fleet which sailed under the orders of sir henry middleton in sixteen hundred and nine was directed to steer to the western coast of the asiatic continent where they made several attempts to establish a commercial intercourse at Aden and mocha they were opposed by the turks who surprised one of the ships and made the captain and seventy men prisoners on the coast of india their endeavors were frustrated by the influence of the portuguese a fleet which sailed in sixteen eleven had better success though attacked at swali a place at no great distance from surat by a large portuguese armament It made a successful defense, and, notwithstanding the intrigues and efforts of the Portuguese, obtained a favorable reception at Surat. The English now succeeded in forming a commercial arrangement. They obtained permission to establish factories at Surat, Amidabab, Cambaya, and Goga, which were pointed out by the agents of the company as the best situations. Agreeing to a duty of three and a half per cent, they stipulated that this should be the only exaction to which their merchandise should be exposed, that protection should be afforded to their factories, and their property, even in the case of the death of their agents, secured till the arrival of the following fleet. The permon, or decree of the emperor conferring these privileges, was received on the eleventh of January. 1612 this was the first establishment of the english on the continent of india at that time the seat of one of the most extensive and splendid monarchies on the surface of the globe end of the history of british india chapter one by james mill 1773 to 1836 Published in 1817.